The Coram Deo Church community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you are about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. All right, well, in just a minute, we're going to look at those uh, famous words from the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Before we do that, I just want to observe um, three different kinds of people who might be in the room this morning. Uh, you fall into one of these three categories. You're either churched, unchurched, or dechurched. Um, and those are actually three statistical and, and sociological categories defining people in America's experience of church. So first of all, many of you are church. In fact, in Douglas and Sarpy counties, 46% of the population here would say they are church. In other words, they would claim to be connected to some body of worship somewhere. The majority of that 46%, unsurprisingly, if you've lived here for a while, is Catholic, Lutheran, and Methodist. So those are the three most uh, common traditions in this city. And if you have a background in one of those traditions, you are well represented in the data here in Douglas and Sarpy counties. That second group of people, of which some of you uh, are probably a part, is uh, what we would call unchurched. And what that means is um, you didn't grow up going to church. Uh, you didn't grow up in a church tradition. Church is pretty new to you. And so perhaps even there's some questions about what does it even mean to show up at a gathering like this or walk into a building like this? What is the church and how does it function? I don't really have a context for that. And so many people uh, in our city and that other 54% would be either unchurched or dechurched. Dechurched is that category of people who maybe grew up in a religious heritage, but then stopped attending church for some reason and would no longer consider themselves part of a church. And actually, in the last 20 years in America, over 40 million people have de-churched. That is, they've stopped going to church for one reason or another. And so maybe you find yourself in that category this morning. And we are spending a few weeks talking about what is the church according to the Bible? What does it mean to be part of the church? And so I think it's helpful just to recognize as we begin that, that there are these three groups of people in the room. Some of you are churched. These conversations are not new to you. Some of you are unchurched, and so you really don't even have a starting point for what is the church. Some of you are de-churched, and so maybe there are reasons for you where what the church was as you experienced it in the past is not what you hope the church could be. Uh, whichever of those categories you find yourself in, you are probably aware of one of the very common realities in the American church context, especially among churches that are Bible-believing and Bible-preaching, and that is that a lot of the energy and effort of churches in America 
goes toward making converts, toward that initial moment of salvation. That's what a lot of churches tend to be focused on. Now, that moment of initial conversion to Christ is an important moment. It's not one we want to minimize or denigrate. In fact, we love to celebrate those moments in people's lives. Even this morning after this service, we're baptizing five people who are professing faith in Christ, either recently or it's happened in the past, and now they're stepping into the waters of baptism to publicly identify with Jesus. And so all of those people have had some moment where they've come to faith in Christ. And yet that moment of conversion is only the beginning. Jesus Christ did not send his church to make converts. He sent his people to make disciples. And that's what I want us to think about together for a few minutes this morning. So as we begin the fall, we're doing this little series we're calling Church 101, just trying to strengthen our ecclesiology, to try to have a a richer and more biblical understanding of what the church is and how it works and what it means to be part of God's people. And as I said last week, Part of my goal in a series like this is to either win you or lose you. In other words, I want to win you over to being a committed part of the local church here at Quorumdale in a way that helps you become a better disciple of Jesus. Or I want you to go find a church where you can be all in and committed and grow as a disciple of Jesus. What I don't want for you is to be just a Sunday morning attender. So as we talk about these things and as we preach from the Bible about what the church is, I'm longing for you to move more fully into this church or to find a church where you can move more fully toward. The question we're asking in this series is just this simple question. What is a biblical church? What is the church according to the Bible? And what we learned last week is that a biblical church is an evangelistic church. That is one that believes and proclaims the good news of Jesus. This week... I want to supplement that idea with this other important fact, and that is that a biblical church is a community of discipleship. That's the big idea for this morning. A biblical church is a community of discipleship. So not only should a biblical church care about evangelism and proclaiming the gospel, but it must also be a community of discipleship. And that's what we're going to think about. The church does not exist to make converts. It exists to make disciples. And that's something a little different. So I want to look together at this passage of scripture at the end of the gospel of Matthew that we often call the Great Commission, Jesus's charge or commission to his disciples. Uh, So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew 28, put your phone away. I don't want you getting text messages during church or checking the weather. It's hot out there. It's still going to be hot when we get out of here. It's all fine. So let's open the Bible, Matthew 28, page 784, if you're using one of those Bibles underneath your seat. And here's what Jesus is going to show us in this famous commission. He's going to show us the who of discipleship, the what of discipleship, the when of discipleship, and the how of discipleship. So that's the sermon outlined this morning, the who, the what, the when, and the how of discipleship. So let's begin, first of all, with the who. Look at Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. It reads, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The first simple thing I want you to notice is who Jesus is speaking to in this passage. He is speaking to the 11 disciples who worshipped him, but the text says, some doubted. Jesus' original disciples were a worshipful and a doubtful bunch. Isn't that good news for you and me? You know who Jesus sends to do his work in the world? Worshipful doubters, or maybe doubtful worshipers. That's who Jesus sends to do his work in the world. You sometimes think, as I do, you know what? I'm sure there's some amazing super Christians who should make disciples, but I'm just an ordinary person. I don't really know what I have to offer. Guess what? What Jesus has for you to offer is to go and make disciples. You know how you sometimes think, maybe you find yourself thinking this, if I, you know, if I could have seen the risen Jesus, if I could have been there on Easter, I would be so much more confident as a disciple and so much more ready to help others walk with Jesus. Did you read verse 17? It's a funny verse. Look what it says. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Like them seeing the risen Christ did not resolve all their doubts. Isn't that good news? So even the original disciples doubted and Jesus still entrusted his mission to them. And what that means is the Great Commission is not based on the strength of your faith. It's not based on the subjective strength of your belief. Notice the first thing Jesus says is, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Based on that, go and make disciples. Doesn't matter if you're doubtful. Doesn't matter the strength or weakness of your faith. The Great Commission is not based on your subjective belief in Christ. It's based on the objective authority that Jesus has. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go, you worshipful doubters. Go make disciples. So who is it that's sent to go and make disciples? It's worshipful doubters and doubtful worshipers. Those are the people Jesus wants to go and make disciples in the world. That's the who of discipleship. And I hope you can see yourself in that who. That's us. Let's look then at the what of discipleship. If that's who's supposed to go, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? And notice there's actually three what's here in the text. The first what is going. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So our calling as Jesus' doubtful worshipers is not to wait for the world to come to us, but rather our calling is to go to them. The church is a sent people, a people who once were called to faith in Jesus were sent now to go and be his ambassadors and representatives. Go and make disciples of all nations. The word nations here means peoples. It's a very broad word. You can even think of it as all kinds of people. So yes, it includes nations in terms of countries, but it also includes all the little subcultures of people that you find all throughout the world and even in our own city. Jesus is essentially saying to his disciples, hey, go and make disciples of the bikers and the board gamers and the ballet dancers. 
Go make disciples of students and soccer moms and senior citizens. All people, in all the ways they sort of identify themselves in the world, all the little groups they call us into, go and make disciples. And this is why we at Quorum Deo are committed to planting churches, because no one church can make disciples of everyone. Jesus has sent us to all peoples, and that's going to require all different kinds of churches in all kinds of places in the world, from Kuwait City, like we just prayed for, to down the street in Bellevue. And so we need to be faithful in the work of multiplying churches so that we can do the thing Jesus has given us to do here. Go and make disciples. So the first what is going. Now notice the second what, baptizing. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be baptized. The first way you identify with Jesus and with his people in the world is in the waters of Trinitarian baptism. Now this, by the way, in case you're wondering, is why our practice at Coram Deo is not to baptize infants, because baptism, according to the Great Commission, is a mark of discipleship. And the word disciple means apprentice or follower or learner, and so it implies a conscious willingness to follow Jesus. No one else can decide for you to be a disciple. You must follow Jesus yourself. And so we raise our children to guide them to that point and head them in that direction. And then we wait for them to personally identify as disciples of Jesus. We think that's the biblical pattern here. And that's why Jesus says, go make disciples. And the first thing you should do as they identify as disciples is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you were born, your parents gave you a name and that identified you with a family and with a people and with a place in the world. And when you are born again, you receive a new name, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that name identifies you with a people and with a family and with a place in the world within the people of God. So the first what is going. The second what is baptizing. The third what is teaching. What is discipleship? Go, baptize, and then verse 20, teaching them to have Bible studies about all that I've commanded you. Oh, that's not what it says, is it? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The word observe here means to fulfill or keep or guard. It's the same word that Jesus uses in John 14 when he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, so making disciples involves teaching people to do, to observe what Jesus commanded. Now, quick show of hands, how many of you play an instrument? Okay, decent number of you. How many of you speak a foreign language decently? Like more than one year of high school Spanish. Everybody's putting their hands down like, oh, I didn't know you were gonna, I didn't know you were gonna dog on my high school Spanish class. Uh, how many of you have played a sport at either the high school or college level competitively? Okay, so a number, so many of you are going to understand what I'm about to say. If you've done any of those things, then you understand habituation, or what neurologists call automation. It's the process of doing something over and over again 
until your muscle memory takes over and it becomes second nature. Until you can do it without thinking about the fact that you're doing it. So you don't think about where to put your fingers on the violin. They just go there. You don't think about how to dribble the basketball. You just do it. Well, that's what Jesus wants for his disciples. What he has in mind is that we would be the kind of people who do what Jesus commanded consistently and repetitively so that it starts to become second nature, so that we start to become habituated to the way of Jesus, to a gospel way of being and thinking and living and relating. Is that your vision for yourself? When you think of the person you want to be, when you think of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is the vision you have, I want to become habituated to the way of Jesus. I want obedience to feel more and more normal and natural because I've practiced it over time. That's the vision Jesus has here. And here's what makes that challenging. Let's acknowledge why that's tough. What makes that challenging is that none of us is a blank slate. All of us have already been formed. All of us are already disciples, right? We have been shaped by our families of origin from our earliest years. We have been shaped by, we are disciples of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and the American liberal experiment. We are disciples of Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and the new online universe. We are disciples of Lady Gaga and Taylor Swift and all of pop culture. We're disciples of Netflix and Hulu and all kinds of streaming. We may sincerely love God, yet we have been deeply shaped and formed by dozens of other influences. Including, by the way, Religious influences. Like many of us have been churched, and I've met many churched people who genuinely love God, and yet they've been shaped by environments that are perhaps legalistic or moralistic or perfectionistic. And so they believe the gospel intellectually, but there's ways in which they've been shaped and formed in ways that don't really resonate with the gospel. And so here's what you need to understand about discipleship to Jesus. Discipleship to Jesus requires every one of us to unlearn some things. To unlearn some things. It's like when you have a, a bad golf swing and you go to a coach or if you don't play golf, think about, I don't know, some think about all the things I just said. If you're learning to play an instrument and you haven't quite learned to do it the right way, and you go to a new teacher, and they're trying to teach you the right way to do it. And so the first thing you have to do is to unlearn the wrong way that you've learned how to do it. That's challenging, right? Like you just have a way you're used to doing it, and so you start to have to concentrate. I'm like, okay, I'm not supposed to swing that way. I got to grip the club this way, or I got to hold the instrument this way. There's like, it takes intentionality to unlearn what you've learned, and then to relearn a different way of doing things. That's what discipleship to Jesus is going to involve for all of us. Because we're all coming with pre-existing ways that we've been discipled. So when Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, he doesn't mean teaching as in a classroom. He means teaching as in a golf swing. 
or teaching like learning to play the piano. He means help them learn to obey what I've commanded until it becomes normal and second nature, until it becomes more effortless. Isn't that the life you want anyway? Like when you think about your vision for who you want to be if you're a follower of Jesus, isn't the life you want, you know what, like in five years or 10 years or 50 years from now, I'd like to sort of like be habituated to the ways of Jesus so that I actually obey more frequently and more easily and more fully and more habitually. Yes, that's what I want for myself. I bet that's what you want for yourself as well. It's what Jesus imagines as he talks about what discipleship is. All right, so we've seen the who of discipleship. We've seen the what of discipleship. Let's see now the when of discipleship. Look at verse 20. Jesus concludes by saying, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the Bible's understanding of time, there are two ages. There is the present age and the age to come. There's the age we are now in, and there's the future age, the new heavens and new earth. And Jesus says, I'm with you always until the very end of the age. So, when are we to make disciples? The answer is, until the end of the age. Like, until Jesus returns, this is our calling, this is our commission. This is what the church, the people of God, are to be about, as long as this age continues, we're to be about making disciples. And Jesus says, and I'm with you always. In other words, what Jesus is really saying here is, I am making disciples until the end of the age. Like through my church, I am at work to bring people to faith and baptism and to help them learn to do what I've commanded and to make them my followers. I, Jesus, am at work through the Spirit in my church to do that until the end of the age. So here's what this means. It means you never outgrow discipleship. There's never a moment when you arrive. I'm really sorry to all you guys that like mastering things and you're like, when do I get there? The answer is when Jesus comes back. That's when you arrive as a disciple. Until then, there's always more work to be done in your life. You never outgrow discipleship. You never reach a moment where you have arrived. One of the greatest dangers to our own spiritual vitality and to the health and thriving of any church is the danger of arrival. That danger of thinking, oh, I finally reached that place where I'm mature, where I'm complete, where I can kind of coast, where everything's done, where there's no more work, where there's no more prayer required or growth required. Jesus is telling you in this, beware of the danger of arrival. Until the end of the age, you need the presence of Jesus with you. Until the end of the age, you need the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Until the end of the age, you need the grace of God upon you. Discipleship is ongoing. You never arrive. My mom had a birthday recently. She turned 39 again. And I was sitting with her on her 39th birthday. And I was like, Mom, what do you, what do you envision for the next year? What do you sort of want to do in the next 12 months? And you know, one of the things she said to me was, I just want to keep growing. I just want to stay faithful. And my mom's been walking with Jesus for a really long time. And she's a faithful Christian. 
But her vision is like, yeah, but I haven't arrived. And you know why she has that vision? Because she's read the Great Commission, because she knows discipleship to Jesus is always ongoing. You don't, you don't just get there and then you're done. All of us consistently always need to be growing. So the who of discipleship, who does Jesus give this commission to? Answer, doubtful worshipers. The what of discipleship, what are we to do? Go, baptize, teach. The when, until the end of the age. So let's finish now by thinking about the how of discipleship. If this is what Jesus has given us to do, if this is the commission he's given to his followers, how do we do it? And how do we do it here at Quorumdale Church? So we're going to move now from exegeting the text to applying the text, talking about what, what shape does this take then as we try to live this out. Since Jesus has commanded us to go and make disciples, how do we do it? I want to take you back to the beginning of the sermon when I said that a biblical church is a community of discipleship. Do you remember that language? And I use that language for a reason because what I'm saying is for this to happen, it has to be in us. Like we together have to just be a community that exists for this purpose. And so I want to give you a very simple formula for how we think about discipleship within Quorum Deo, a simple way of saying, here's what we try to do. Here's how we try to do discipleship. And the formula is this, gospel plus community plus time. How do we make disciples of Jesus? The answer, as best I can give it to you, is gospel plus community plus time. It takes those three things. First, it requires the gospel. Because after all, the gospel is the message that Christians orient their lives around. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done, to die in our place, to rise from the dead, to send his spirit. It's all of the redemptive truth of scripture from Genesis to Revelation that shows us a gracious God calling a people to himself and sending them to live for his purposes in the world. And so all of that truth, all of that richness, all of that good news is the thing we need in order to be disciples of Jesus. To say it another way, you can't be a disciple of Jesus without living within the story that Jesus is telling. And the story he's telling is a story of good news of what he has done to redeem a people who are sinful and restore them in relationship to God and through them to bring his kingdom in the world. So we need the gospel to change. And in fact, one of our core convictions here at Quandeo is just that we never move beyond the gospel. That the gospel is the thing we most need to continue to grow as disciples of Jesus. Because as Colossians chapter 1 says, the gospel continues to bear fruit and grow among you even after you heard of it. Like the gospel is not a door that you walk through and now you're in Christianity and then you do something else. It's the path we continue to walk on in order to grow. So the first thing we need as disciples is the gospel. But second, we need community. Like no one grows to maturity in Christ in isolation. No one becomes a disciple alone. We become a disciple of Jesus in community with other people. There's a very simple reason for this. And it kind of, here's the best way I can describe it to you. Have you ever thought, man, I'm really growing. 
as like, like an impatience. I'm just way more patient than I used to be. And then God puts a person in your life who really tests your patience. And suddenly you realize, actually, you haven't grown at all. You're just surrounded by people that you get along with well. So it's not that you're patient. It's just like nobody in your life is difficult to get along with. And then suddenly someone that tries your patience is in your life. And you're like, wow, I really need to grow. Like, I'm not as Christ-like as I thought I was. That's the beauty of community. Why does Jesus call you into this messy body of people called the church? Because you can't grow to maturity in Christ in isolation. It takes one another. Think about how many times the New Testament exhorts us to love one another, forgive one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. This one anothering is the context in which we actually learn to be disciples of Jesus. Gospel, community, time. That final component is just realizing that all the promises that you want as an American, that like you can have this now, it's instant, it's immediate sanctification, it's not going to take any time or work or effort or labor, none of those are true. Jesus says, until the end of the age. So the final thing you need as a disciple is just time. Time in a community that's built around the gospel. And here's why that's good news for you, because it means, you know what? Five years from now, you're not going to be the same person you are today. Do you know why? Because the Spirit of God is at work, renovating your character and changing you and transforming you. And the good news is, five years from now, you're going to be a different person from where you are now. Why? Because you will have just had more time to grow in Jesus. Now, next week when we get in this room, we may all be pretty much the same as we are now, right? Like from week to week, it's like growing up. From week to week, you don't notice the change, but man, you measure yourself on the doorpost every six months and suddenly you like grew a bunch, right? That's how growth in Christ happens as well. Gospel, community, and time. So our simple vision for how to make disciples at Cormdale is just look, we want to take human beings, immerse them in a gospel-rich community over time. And we think if we do that, based on what Jesus has promised, we together are going to grow up as his disciples. And we're going to be faithful in the work he's called us to do. Gospel, community, time. That's why, by the way, we are bullish about these things we call gospel communities because we just took two of those words and smashed them together. Um, why do we say, hey, you should be in a gospel community? Well, because that's the primary context where we're trying to do this outside of this room. And I tell you all the time, look, I'm glad you're here. You can't grow as a disciple through a 35-minute sermon. I mean, it hopefully can help and help make some traction and do some good things in your life, but it takes more than that. And so we want to invite you into gospel community. And I want to mention, by the way, coming up in September, this little gospel community mini-conference that we're doing, which is really just a way of saying, let's meet for church, but on a Saturday instead of a Sunday, okay? And instead of preaching a sermon, let's talk about what, are, what does it mean to be part of a gospel community? How do we build healthy multiplying, effective, disciple-making communities. So we're asking for three and a half hours of your Saturday morning on the 23rd of September just to say, hey, together, let's, let's think about how to be healthy in our practice of gospel community. So you'll see registration for that uh, tomorrow morning in the email, and I, I would love for all of you to be there because that's why we're doing it, all right? Gospel community time. Now, what I've tried to convince you of and show you from the Great Commission is simply that a biblical church is a community of discipleship. We've looked at the who of discipleship. 
the what, the when, and the how. Let me now close then with three questions for you and then three observations for us together, okay? Three questions for you. First, have you chosen to follow Jesus? Have you decided to be a disciple of Jesus? Are you a disciple? No one else can be a disciple of Jesus for you. People can influence you. They can stir you and spur you and encourage you toward discipleship. But every single one of us must decide, am I going to follow Christ? Have you chosen to follow Jesus? That's the first question. And that's really the place where it should all start. Because Jesus in his goodness meets each of us individually. He says, are you going to be my follower? Have you chosen to follow Jesus? Second, are you committed to making disciples? Have you embraced that this commission of Jesus is for you? Like that this actually is what your life ought to be about. This is what you ought to be given to. Have you committed yourself to making disciples, to having this vision for your life? And the third question is simply this, what's the next step? What's the next step for you? The answer to that could be as varied as the people in this room, but what is the next step for you in being a disciple of Jesus and making disciples of Jesus? All right, three observations now for us, and then we will come to the Lord's table and then go celebrate some baptisms. Three observations for us together as a church. First is this. Discipleship is the main thing here at Cormdale. This is what we are about. Um, it's why we exist. It's what we want to do and hopefully do as well as the Lord allows us to do it. Okay? So there are a lot of other things. There's a lot of things that happen in order for this to happen. But this is the thing that matters. Like the reason we do Quorumdale Kids and student ministry and women's Bible studies and gospel communities and retreats and all, the reason we do all those things is to make disciples. Like this is the heart of what we are about. It's why we exist. So I want you to know, Man, if you don't want to be a part of a church that's about discipleship, this probably isn't the church for you because this is what we do. This is why we exist. So therefore, here's the second thing. What that means is the evaluative question we are always asking is, are we effectively making disciples? So like if we're trying to ask, like, man, is this ministry good? Are things going well? The question we're asking is like, are we effectively making disciples? And so I just want to invite you to have that same lens for thinking about whatever you're invested in and involved in in this church. Is it effectively making disciples? If not, how can we be doing it better? The reason I want to say that is that I just want you to embrace and celebrate and also know that there are no sacred cows here. What happens in churches the longer they exist is like people get really tied to things the church does, right? To this Bible study or this ministry or this group of people. And so it's like, well, we can't change that because we've been doing that for 30 years. Here's what I want you to know. If it ain't working, we're going to change it because all we need to care about is making disciples. And so the thing we're asking is like, are we effectively doing that? If so, great. And if not, man, we want to tweak and adjust and grow and get better and change things. And so there are zero sacred cows 
here at Quorum Day, we don't do anything just to do it. We do what we do in order to make disciples and try to do that effectively. Here's the third thing I just want to say for all of us. The most important disciple-making tool you have is your own life. The most important disciple-making tool or resource you have is just your own life. What it means to make disciples is not to get involved in a ministry and do a thing and show up with some energy. What it really means to make disciples is to say, as the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So really, any of us can do that. Any of us who's following Jesus with our own lives can say to someone else, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm not super good at it, but you know, I'll show you what I know and then you'll watch me repent and grow and need Jesus, right? That's what this is about. And I think sometimes we tend to think that like um, there's some place of arrival where we will get to and then we should make disciples. And what I want you to hear is like, no, no, discipleship is just follow me as I follow Christ. If you've been following Christ for five minutes, you can make a disciple. You just got to find somebody who's five minutes behind you, right? And say, hey, you know what? I was there five minutes ago. Let's go, Okay. That's what discipleship is. So the, the best resource you have is your own life. And what we value here in this church is just people living with integrity, trying to follow Jesus and saying to other people, hey, come with me. Here's where I'm going. The path is windy and occasionally I fall off, but you know what? Jesus is where I'm headed. His way is what I'm trying to walk in. Follow me as I follow him. The most important disciple-making tool you have is your own life. And so that brings us back to this proclamation that Jesus gives us. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Like the good news is, as long as you're linked up with Jesus, he, he's not leaving you. He's not abandoning you. He's with you to the end of the age. And so he is available for all that you need. His spirit is present to give you all that you lack. His promises are true and real, and they're still there for you even when you turn away from them. And so you and I this morning can come again in a fresh way, in a new way to Jesus and say, yep, again, today, we're following you. And that's what we get to do as we come to his table. And you just get to say once again, yep, as sinners in need of grace, we're coming to you. We're receiving your grace, and we want to be your followers. So let's pray now and then come to the Lord's table. Our Lord Jesus, thank you that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. Thank you that it's in that authority that you send us to be disciples and to make disciples. And so really, we humbly want to ask for two things. First, I pray for those in this room who have not yet decided to be followers of you. And would you, through this text, through this part of the Bible, through this sermon, through this morning, would you provoke them to come to you? to receive your grace, to become your followers. And then Jesus, for those of us who have decided to follow you, we're all, we're all too aware of all the ways we fall short, all the ways we struggle, all the ways we fail to be true to our own convictions. So thank you for the promise that you are with us always. Thanks that you're here this morning with fresh grace, with fresh mercy, with fresh goodness to give to us. And so we just come and ask that you would make us a church of followers, a church of disciples.
Help us to get up again and come to you and walk in your ways and receive your mercy and walk out of here committed to following you as your disciples for another week, another month, and another year, and eventually for our whole lives until the end of the age. And we pray this for our good and for your glory. Amen.